0: Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. We're listening to Yellow Wolf
1: Podcast. episode 308 of The Yellow Pots. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Dortmund advancing to the round of 16 in the UEFA Champions League and we will preview the Bundesliga doubleheader with the away match against Mainz and then the Tuesday night game at home to RB Leipzig. And for all that and more, join me once again, Matthias Zook. Hello Matthias, how are you doing?
2: Hello Stefan, I am doing well. The sun is shining in Colorado. How are you doing today?
1: I am doing... Well, myself, the sun is also shining in Philadelphia. How's the sun doing in Bonn, Mr.
3: Lars Pollmann? Hello. I'll tell you in 10 hours, no, 12. <laughs> it's a full moon. tonight, already it's night, So, uh, I mean, it's still pretty bright out, but it's the moon and not the sun.
1: So it's the, the sunlight is being reflect, reflected nicely toward Earth in Germany. That's that's nice. Also here, Konstantin Egner. Hello, Konstantin. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. Hi, Stefan. Hi. So before we continue, I have a quick announcement, and that is this episode is sponsored by the BVB09 Canadians, the only BVB fan club in Canada, according to Dan Ackland, who put up the 10 bucks for the shout out. And if you also want to be the sponsor of an episode like Dan, please go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall for more information. And, uh, that should be all with housekeeping because, uh, we have lots of things to talk to. Uh, first, I think it was one of the most exhilarating, uh, afternoons I had. Certainly Dortmund beating Slavia Prague. Meanwhile, uh, Barcelona's B team somehow getting away with a 2-1 win against Inter. Last, um, we had a very, uh, Interesting matchup against Slavia um, with a lot of chances on on both ends. Um, do you think this was the sort of game everyone could expect considering how strong Slavia Prague are and uh, how would you rate Dortmund's performance overall against what I personally think was a very strong opponent?
3: Well, I mean, they showed to be pretty strong over the course of the group stage, but going by the first matchup uh, in Prague... I don't think I necessarily expected like this kind of open game. I mean, obviously, they are pretty much guaranteed to once again win the Czech League this season. They are already out of the cup if the German commentator was not mistaken. So they basically have nothing left to play for in the middle of December. So I'm not necessarily surprised that they went all out and just wanted to have some fun uh, in perhaps the, the biggest stadium they are going to play in for a while. Uh, also the, the head coach seems to be some sort of Dortmund fan or Jürgen Klopp fan with his associate association to Dortmund being, you know, uh, a factor for, for, uh, Tripikovsky is his name or something like that. Um, so I'm, I'm not necessarily surprised that Prague kind of went all out and, and played their best team and whatnot, but I am a little surprised that they had so many chances. Uh, given that Dortmund knew uh, going into the game that presumably, at least, they would have to win the game. I mean, obviously, at, at the end of the day, Barca got the job done to the degree that a 2-all draw in Dortmund would have sufficed, which would arguably, or not arguably, would, which would definitely have been the more fair result for both teams. So, uh, I'm as for, for the Dortmund performance, I'm not hugely impressed by... The amount of chances, obviously. I mean, when when Roman Burki in a home Champions League gotta have it match is the the hero with I don't seven eight good saves seven or, saves or, or strong uh, saves or whatever. Uh, that's that doesn't reflect too well uh, on the overall performance of the team. But then again, I think we at least saw again the benefits of the system change. Uh, Lucien Favre has now committed to, I think. Uh, I mean he he could have easily uh, switched things around without Axel Witsel uh, not necessarily trusted Julian Weigl to be that single pivot if you want to call it that uh, but he did so I think that he's um yeah he, I I think he's kind of realized that this formation brings out the best in his attacking players and uh, seeing as Dortmund aren't stable defensively in any kind of shape it makes sense to just focus on <laughs> on the front four or front six, if you like, if you want to include the, the wing back. So it was once again a very strong performance of Julian Brandt and at least a free-flowing performance from uh, Azar, Royce Sancho, even though not all of them necessarily had great games uh, individually.
1: Yeah, I think I'm not stepping on anyone's toes here when I say that we're basically the Julian Brandt hive on this podcast. Um I know you, Constantine, were also very enthusiastic about his addition. Now, um, he's playing at the number eight position, which I, um, you know, my, my only criticism is why, why not sooner? Um, but I think this is the first time you are on here since Favre has committed to the, uh, three, four Favre system. So, uh, please expand your own, uh, opinion on, on that and how, how did you like, um, this system um, with A, Hummels back in the back three and uh, Julian Weigl next to Brandt. Uh,
0: yeah, so starting at the back, I don't think uh, Hummels is made for a back three. I mean, he's he doesn't really fit the back three. Um, why and not? He, why not? Because he's he's, he's a center back four back four where he can advance um, through the half space if he's playing in the middle and he advances either defensively or offensively. He's just a f- Dangerous to his own team uh, most of the time. Um, his his style of, of, of defending is just not suitable to, to back free, especially when he's in the middle. And he has to play in the middle, um, usually, because he's not quick enough for an outside position. Um, and also because Zagadou is uh, left-footed, he has to play on the left side, basically. So yeah, um, Hummels not really suitable to a back free. Um, they do the best of it, I guess. I mean, just but because but still, I mean the, um, the goal Slavia scored second time within a few a time span of a few matches where Hummels committed a crucial mistake by just leaving the back line and doing something because he and has to slipping. be proactive. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's still, I mean, if you, if you're moving uh, forward and you slip, that's, I mean, there's, there's more of an uh, possibility to slip. Um, and then it becomes really dangerous. I mean, against, um, Hertha, he, he committed or he got the first booking because he did something not, not similarly, but, um, he also advanced, um, and yeah, just got outmaneuvered. Um, and then, got the second uh, sent uh, yellow and was off the pitch after what was it 45 minutes something like that um so th- yeah there's that um also i mean it what dortmund right now plays or the far the current system reminds a little bit of what uh, leverkusen did last season um, under Peter Bosch, also involved when, when also Jurgen Point was involved as a number eight. Um, although I have to say that that be, because the back three is at it is right now at Dortmund, they don't play as uh, wide as Leverkusen did, which was a big strength for Leverkusen. So there's something to to um, also improve in terms of how they uh, play down the wing. Um, Dortmund is. Um, and also, yeah, in terms of, I mean, playing Juan Weigel alongside Pond, I think, I mean, it's like the natural fit if you look at the squad at Delaney out, uh, Witzel injured. So, I mean, there's only Juan Weigel left to, uh, fit into this, a uh, little bit more defensive minded center midfielder role. So, I wasn't really surpi- surprised, just, yeah, just, uh, what was expected, I guess. Um, of course, I mean, the pairing of Witzel and Prandt in the middle works a little bit better because I think uh, Witzel is more of a of a center midfielder who can disrupt uh, opposing plays far better than Weigel, who tried that to some extent, who was really active in terms of uh, going into one-on-one situations, but often enough not really in the position to really make something happen in these one-on-one situations because he was just... You know, going against the back of an opponent and then being out of position when the layoff pass happens. So, I mean, yeah. Uh, he's And also, he's not the um, smartest player in one-on-one. Not, just not as tight and, in these defensive situations as, uh, as Witzel is. And, I mean, after all, he got sent off.
1: Yeah, I, I guess uh, there's not really much of an argument there. Um, Matthias I would agree with the assessment that, uh, Mats isn't necessarily too suited for a back three. Um, we, uh, had a little conversation after the game on, on, WhatsApp, whether it would be smarter to have Zagadu, uh, Akanji and, and Piszczek back there. And, and you said Baleari. uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, is, is this still your uh, opinion that, uh, maybe the, the ideal, uh, uh, formation if Dortmund play with a back three is, uh, without Hummels?
2: Um, well, I mean it's hard to argue against that. Um, but it's not gonna happen. He's gonna play, it's Matsumis, they paid too much money, he makes too much money, uh, so he's gonna play. So that that's already to me a given fact. But taking that out of the equation, (laughs) if we look at it, the the one thing that and I think I made this comment to you was he looks lost. He doesn't know what to do, where to be. There were a couple of situations where he got in the way of either Zagadu or Akanji when they were trying to clear the ball or play the ball out of the back. I can remember one instance, I don't know the minute or everything, but him and Akanji just basically got on top of each other because Hummels moved into the space where Akanji is and moved into to play a pass and it kind of, you know, the ball kind of squirted out to Hakimi and it worked out. And it's because what what was already said is he is more comfortable in a back four. That's where he's always played. And uh, as such, he doesn't quite know where to fit and where to position himself. When we look at the previous match against Dusseldorf, when you had Piszczek on the right, Piszczek is more natural to be on the right because he's also a right back. Having Akanji be in the center, that's really not much of an issue for him. And obviously Zagadu is comfortable on the left. It seemed to me he didn't know what to do or where to be um, because it's unnatural for him to play in that formation. Also, because of his age, he's been conditioned to play in a back four. Younger players are more likely to adapt to a different formation at a quicker pace. And I do stand that when Balerdi is ready, and Favre was asked about Balerdi in his pre mines press conference and kind of talked about it a little bit. But when Balerdi is ready, um, then I think he would be the one on the right instead of Piszczek for a, a variety of reasons. Obviously one is a true center back. One is a right back. Um, so hopefully once Balerdi gets used to the pace of the Bundesliga and the other thing that was mentioned, the distance between the lines and the spacing between the defenders, then I expect if a back three persists to see, well, uh, a lot more of Balerdi, which I, I I presume will make a lot of the people here on the podcast happy, including myself.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Lars, um, you you watch this game live, right? Um, but I I personally must say, to me the the last 50 minutes or so were pretty much a blur because i was just glued to to both screens at once and and didn't really pay too close attention to tactical things anymore so um after vigar got sent off in the 77th minute can you fill me and maybe all other listeners who uh, had the similar experience as me in what what Favre actually changed uh, once uh, dortmund were decimated and down to
3: 10 sadly i cannot konstantin <laughs>
0: What what he did? Uh, they just um, what was it? They just they just uh, played. What was it actually? Yeah, that's actually a good question. What it was a it was a
2: double pivot of Hazard next to Brandt. That's was predominantly.
0: Hazard. Yeah, I think yeah, right. There was Hazard because I was, M- was I saving all our asses here right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting actually because like I I don't know. I mean uh, before uh, Weiger got sent off, it was pretty structured, but after that, not so much. And then he was, and then Hazard, and then, yeah, that's right. Balardi played in center midfield because Balardi came, that, that's what I want. That's what I thought about. Balardi played in center midfield or as a, like a holding midfielder uh, when he came on for Hazar, and uh, Piszczek replaced Hakimi just to have some fresh legs on the right side and a little bit more of a defensively... Capable player. I mean, let's be honest, like pitch is a little bit of a better defender than Hakimi. Um, so, but yeah, Ballardi played uh, as a holding midfielder. And then also, uh, Dahoud came on for, for Sancho. Um, so it, uh, basically, they had three midfielders then Ballardi as a, as a holding midfielder, and Prunt and Dahoud. Uh, like in a four-three-three situation, but basically they uh, a little bit ahead of him in the number eights uh, or in two number eight spots. Yeah, that was it. Balleri, yeah, it was. It was
1: midfielder. pretty mayhem, to be honest. Um, and yeah, but uh, still, you, you it's, inter- it's interesting
0: who who he choose to play as a holding midfielder. That it was Palerdi. Yeah. it's, true. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Because. True. Be- I mean, of course, in, so, in such situations, it's basically, if you're a holding midfielder, uh, just defending a lead uh, against Slavia Prague for, 50 minute, for for 10 minutes or so, of course, there's not much like complex uh, complex task to fulfill. Still, I mean, he trusted him to play in a holding midfielder position to protect the back line to some extent, um, and he didn't tr- switch it to, I don't know, Akanji playing as a holding midfielder or, or Mats Hummels. Um, playing as a whole midfielder. So it's interesting to see you know, <laughs> what he did. Or actually, I mean, I expected him, uh, quite frankly, to have Guerrero move into the center midfielder position and and playing Piszczek and Hakimi as the two wingbacks. But he didn't.
1: Well, either way, it was pretty cha- chaotic. Um, and uh, I think... The man of the match in my book was definitely Roman Bürki. And uh, Roman Bürki said after the game uh, about the the chants, the, the yellow wall chanting his name, As he said, I had to keep it together so I wouldn't cry tears of joy, but uh, to keep focus on the game. It's an incredible feeling. And I think today we read a couple of headlines that Zorc is maybe contemplating extending his contract, which runs out in 2021, um, Last, do you think um, this would be a good time for Roman Bürki to extend his contract? Do you think uh, he should continue to be Dortmund's number one for the foreseeable future? Or do you think Dortmund should uh, look out elsewhere?
3: Well... Um I mean, I'm pretty sure they are in the Alexander Nübel sweepstakes, uh, Schalke <laughs> captain. Who's, That's exactly what I was thinking about. Who's out of contract in the summer, who presumably is not going to Bayern, just because they are about to extend Manuel Neuer's contract until 23, I think. They still have Sven Ulreich. They already extended the contract or are about to extend the contract of Christian Früchtl, who's uh, considered... Next to Luca Unbound to perhaps be one of the best uh, goalkeeping talents in Germany overall, so th- there doesn't seem to be an opening for Nübel at Bayern. So he would either stay at Schalke or move elsewhere. And Dortmund are certainly, especially since Matthias Sommer came back and there was kind of a shift in in philosophy. Uh, they they certainly will think long and hard about adding a German potential German international uh, in in that position for free. Uh, also, hurting Schalke wouldn't hurt them, I guess. Uh, so I would keep that in mind. But uh, as for, for Roman Bürki, I think he's still fairly securely entrenched as Dortmund's number one goalkeeper for the foreseeable future unless they get Nübel. So I wouldn't be uh, in opposition to a contract extension. But it's also not like uh, I think there would be, you know, Many clubs lining up to snatch Roman Burke out of Dortmund's hands uh, if the contract wasn't extended soon. So, I mean, they, they already did the anti-cyclical contract extension when Burke was, uh, down on his luck for a few months, trying to get him, uh, back into form or good shape or whatever. Uh, and that kind of worked. So, I mean, it, he seems to be the kind of guy that, that resonates, uh, that, that responds to, you know that kind of incentive uh, off the pitch, but right now I don't necessarily know if he needs it. And as I said, as a he he's not going to go anywhere without a contract extension anytime soon. So I mean, it wouldn't be necessarily on my front burner uh, in terms of kind of deals that we have to make as a club.
1: That is true. I I think uh, there are a couple of other deals we shall discuss uh, later down the road. Uh, in the meantime, I watched. A- just, just, just one thing. Remember when,
0: uh, everyone was, you know, on the Timo Horn train, uh, one and a half years ago? Uh, everyone wanted Timo Horn to, um, replace around Berkey. Or remember when a few weeks or, I don't know, two months ago or so, when Marvin Hitz replaced Berkey for some time and everyone was fine. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Hits should get the number one spot right now. Times change very quickly
2: oh i i agree and the hits thing i've even seen that on twitter they're like well look at the statistics for dortmund when hits plays versus when burki plays i'm sorry please don't tweet that stuff cuz it makes you look like an idiot cuz you're obviously not taking everything into account as far as opposition goals scored uh roman burki i don't i can't think of too many times this season where it's been his fault that Dortmund have dropped points or lost points at the end of the day uh it's again another performance where he got Dortmund the points so uh I I agree with Constantine Timo Juan I don't think anybody wants him right now um in that regard so um yeah I I agree also with last there's no reason to to extend his contract at this time plus the quote the, the question that that talk was asked in the press conference was, you know, are you thinking about extending his contract? And he said, I always think about all of my players' contracts. That's literally what he said. So it was kind of a an answer, non-answer. It kind of got spun into something a little weird on Kika and stuff like that today. But uh, that's that's actually what he said in terms of, I always think about everybody's contracts, so leave me the hell alone.
3: A non-answer in right. a the, the, Dortmund the, press the, conference? Call on me, shocked. <laughs>
0: Rid- ridiculous <laughs> right that, that happens never uh no but but the point I was actually also making uh, uh besides the Roman Berkey thing is just uh, sometimes I just remember all the names that all the flavors of the season that have been around like I mean there have been I don't know 20 to 50 uh, center forwards and attacking midfielders were the hottest shit for some time. And Dortmund had to sign them because otherwise they, you know, I don't know, the Sivkovich and, uh, Mitrovich and whatever. Um, and some of them, uh, I don't know where they, where they have ended up. Uh, I think, I don't know, in Southeast Asia don't or something. Forget
1: my Fedor Smolov. <laughs>
0: Sveto smaller yeah, but but the hype surrounding him wasn't as you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, still, yeah, you're right. Actually, I mean, there there were so many like Oliver Torres. Also, I mean, I liked him. I uh, but but you know, you 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 should have 25 capable players, and that's it. And sometimes Dortmund fans have the tendency to, uh, you know, they want to sign anyone. That's out there and just available and has, you know, had some decent matches and looks like a star or maybe has name value because he, he played for, I know, Benfica or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, just put on a break sometimes, uh, with all these, you know, demands on who the, um, the, the club should sign because sometimes times, cha- or often enough times change very quickly and you, you will never talk about some of these names ever again because they are, you know, far away from Dortmund quality.
3: Like this Yamulenko guy. <laughs> Who? Yamulenko.
2: Who? Yeah.
1: All right. So I guess we can move Ma- on now. Maxi Philipp. <laughs> yes. Um, please, can we move on now? Um. So I watched Twitter being very joyful that Dortmund uh, pro- proceeded to the round of 16 only for everyone then to fall into despair two seconds later because they saw the possible opponents which are... PSG, Man City, Juventus, Liverpool and Valencia. Um, I guess the obvious, uh, candidate that everyone would like to play against would be Valencia. Um, that being said, who would you
3: at all possibilities avoid, Lars? Avoid? Uh, yes. I guess PSG just because of the attacking talent in that team and they seem to be the most able at least in the Champions League season this year to actually follow up on all that talent but to be honest i think their the, the names are bigger than the quality is this season especially for man city and juventus uh, juventus uh, only lost uh, one league game this season now against lazio last weekend but uh, they their, their performances have been quite lackluster under Maurizio Sarri uh, I mean they they are in the Ronaldo trap of having to play him often but he's just not very good anymore I mean obviously he still scores a number of goals but he's definitely not among the five or six best attacking players in the Serie A anymore so uh, I think Juventus are more beatable this season than they have been in the past um, obviously they they are better outfit than Dortmund but over two games a lot of things can happen. Uh, Man City I mean they are not even second in the Premier League they've lost to uh, Dortmund B uh, in Norwich City this season I don't think (laughs) I don't think they are necessarily this unbeatable team Uh, obviously they might focus on the Champions League more and who knows what happens in the January transfer window but As of right now, they have like one center half. And I don't know if uh, Laporte and others will be back uh, in February or early March. So Man City doesn't look unbeatable to me. And I think most people will point to Valencia as the least recognized uh, big team. But typically, I would say that Dortmund would struggle more against a side like that then say Man City, uh, going by what I've seen of those teams this season. So I'm not necessarily hot on PSG, but other than that, I wouldn't say Dortmund are without chance against anyone. And not even, I mean, they aren't without chance against PSG because, you know, it, Paris have quite the issue with actually coming through in the Champions League. So, I mean, they were dropped down, uh, they dropped out against, uh, Oleguna, Soldiers, Manchester United last season. So anything's possible. Any other comments, or should we just move on to the Bundesliga? Uh,
0: I mean, if you if you look at teams uh, Dortmund could face, I, I think you you should wish for a team that's not that strong defensively, because. Uh, It's not like Dortmund will keep uh, one of these top tier teams, and they are all top tier teams uh, at bay for uh, 180 minutes. I mean, that's just not possible. So, uh, whether to, you know, play the the nil nil game, it's more like maybe we can have a shootout and we beat them. And that's why I also agree that like Manchester City, for instance, with a a pretty, pretty bad backline, um, they are beatable. Um, same for Juventus with a uh, I don't know what they are doing uh, in terms of uh, in their defense, but that's I mean it's all right for the Serie A sometimes, but it's not really that that compa- I mean if you, if you really go into these these kind of matches, I think Juventus is beatable. Uh, on the other side, PSG, for instance, have been pretty strong as of late. You know they keep a clean sheet more often than not. Um, so it, I think Togo has fixed a lot of is- or plenty of issues. They had so I don't really want to and also I don't know, these side stories with Tochel and whatever, uh it's like getting on your nerves a little bit. Um yeah and, and Valencia. Same with club, like Liverpool and PSG, like we got all these side stories and like Tuchel and the, and the story of the Champions League run with, and then the, the bombing at prior to the Monaco match and blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah. So, um, yes, um, I gu- so I guess Manchester City would be actually a great matchup because they are beatable. It would be great win for Dortmund if they beat Manchester City. Um, you know. Pep Guardiola pulls his hair, uh, pulls not his his skin. I don't know whatever. Uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> um. So so you, you get it. I mean, I think I think Manchester City would actually be pretty great as an as an opponent. It it sucks a little bit that they are um you know that, that they can't go up against like every Leipzig and Bayern Munich, of course, because of the of the national rule.
1: Yeah, sucks. Um. All right. Because so, they are beatable. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's move on to minds before we talk about Leipzig. Uh. Mainz right now are in uh, 13th place. They have five wins and nine losses to their name. And Dortmund will uh, play against Achim Bayer again, uh, who is now the new head coach of Mainz after being already the head coach of Cologne when uh, Dortmund beat them earlier. Uh, Mainz, I think, fired Sandro Schwarz a couple of games ago, like three games ago. And uh, now they've beaten Hoffenheim 5-1, Beaten Frankfurt 2-1 and then lost to Augsburg in the last three games. And, uh, the their injuries are Dani Lazar, Stefan Bell, Jean-Philippe Mateta and Dong Wonji. Karim Onizivo is also doubtful. So they have uh, a couple of injury woes. Um, especially it's, it's good for Dortmund that Dong Wonji is in, injured because he likes to score somehow against them. Um, it's certainly not going to be a very easy game. Um, Matthias, uh, do you think Favre will, will stay true to his 3-4-3 system again or do you think he will switch things up uh, without uh, Witzel and Delaney and uh, Schmelzer or um, do, do you think he will uh, do just the same and, and uh, yeah, hope minds can't handle it?
2: I, I don't expect him to change. Um, why? You've got momentum, you have the team believing in it, They they're understanding their movements and how to play. Um yeah, you got a little bit defensively to, to sort out, of, but I, I think Slavia and Prague are significantly better than uh Mainz, but there are certain similarities. Obviously Achim Bayalotza likes a good press and to be aggressive and physical and uh Fußball and and all that stuff, and so it's gonna be very uncomfortable. They're gonna stand on Don't One's toes. I don't expect them to pack the box and low block that doesn't tend to be how Achim Bayaloza likes to play Um, but uh, who knows but I I just don't expect that to happen because he will have seen Dusseldorf try to low block and all that kind of stuff against Dortmund they got pulled apart even though Mainz are better Um, but they're still you know kind of figuring out Bayaloza and and his football Uh, I know he's uh, the main supporters are still unsure about Bayado uh is, is what I'm hearing. And so it's going to be uncomfortable, but I do expect Fava to play the same formation. Obviously, you got to play, uh, I expect Weigel again next to Brandt, because I don't really know who to put there. I mean, I doubt he'd put Balerdi in that position at this point, so... Uh, I, I expect much of the same as we saw against Slavia Prague. Maybe some rotation at the wing-back position. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Piszczek on the right and Schulz on the left. Um uh, But other than that, I don't expect a huge change.
1: Yeah, Konstantin, I think you remember Bayer game plan uh, that he had with Cologne against Dortmund, where he basically stretched Dortmund out Across the field and uh, pressed the center backs very high, and uh, you know, put the uh, the central midfielders into the cover shadows, and then uh, basically force turnovers on the fullback positions. Do you think um, this plan would work as well right now as as Dortmund line up?
0: no not 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 really um because if you, you have these natural um situ- or you have these situations uh for Dortmund where they can basically outnumber um the type of press Cologne applied uh under uh Biolotza but also um has been said or it has it has to be said that um mines plays a little bit differently than um Cologne like Obviously. it's the same coach but it's no, oh, it's the same coach, but he switched things up a little bit. He's even more risk taking right now because I think just because he sees like that's his last opportunity to establish himself as a Bundesliga coach, or as he's like a failure, uh, because they, like he didn't have a great resume to begin with when he came to Cologne. So it's really his last chance. So I mean, it's interesting to see the difference uh, of minds. Under Schwarz and now under uh lotzer like, I guess it's pretty pretty interesting to see because like their, their press is more compact, more tight, uh far higher up the pitch, they generate far more high press shots um from these situations. Actually, a lot of turnovers in the in the opposing half in these like three matches under under uh Bayer-Lotze. So um I guess he could try that again. Uh because why not? I what, what could happen? I mean they get outplayed by Dortmund, no big deal actually. Um, so I guess they try that. Um, Dortmund's build-up in general uh, in this new in this new system hasn't been tested that much. A little bit against uh, Hertha BSC, but also there was the situation with Red Card. So why not? I, I guess he they, he will try that to just press as high as possible. Um, probably man marking um, some maybe maybe a Kanji and and Hummels a man mark mock system against them and then you know you know, get a little bit of the ball to sagadu and then be surprised that Sagadu can actually play a pretty good vertical pass. So um as as Slavia <laughs> yeah, I would keep
1: Sagadu open if if it were me to be honest. That's well but idea. but
0: I, s- still I mean asked uh, some some Slavia Prague coach uh, who also tried that I was probably also surprised that uh the, the big fella from France can um, you know play or is, is actually pretty pretty capable uh pretty competent uh, when it comes to build up plays and these these passes and playing into the midfield um so i mean they can try it again or maybe they watch the footage uh, they meaning mines watch the footage uh, from the park game and decided all right um still i especially because Sagadu is on the left side. Uh, and apprentice on the left, or basically a left-sided center midfielder for most of the time, he's also left-footed, um, they can, you know, he has someone to play with, he meaning Saga do, um, and and that also helps him, you know, he, um, that, that really it's helpful to someone like him uh, ha- to have the the one playmaker uh, right in front of him, basically. Um, so why not? But I think Mainz will go all out, guns blazing, um, as they try to do right now, um, and still, I see Dortmund having much more confidence in their system uh, because of recent matches and because of passing play. Um, although not as dominant as it should be, but looked much more fluid um, compared to you know matches prior to the system change.
1: Yes, uh, I I think we have underappreciated Lucien uh, Lucien, <laughs> Lucien Favre too, sure. maybe, uh, but uh, Julian Brandt. Uh, so far in, in this episode Um and uh, last, do you think the Julian Brandt honeymoon will be over soon because he will receive more attention and uh, opponents figuring out uh, how to play against him better or do you think uh, what he's doing right now is something that we can get used to regardless of what opponents do and, and
3: uh, think about? I mean, I don't know what opponents could do to completely take him out of the game. I mean, he's too intelligent for that. He has too much spatial awareness to position himself. He has a relatively free role with a you know more natural holding midfielder next to him, be that Weigel or Witzel before him. Um, I really don't see how uh, you contain Brandt that much without sacrificing your coverage uh, in other positions. So... I mean, if, if Brand's impact were to be that they, that they, meaning the opponent have, uh, fewer bodies for Royce Azar and Sancho and, and maybe Paco at some stage again or Guerrero on the left, Hakimi on the right. I mean, that would still be, uh, highly valuable to Dortmund's, uh, progressing of the ball. So, but I, I, I just don't see how. I mean, in this, this kind of form with this, uh, position and space that Brandt has, I think he's basically unplayable, at least against, you know, let's say 14, 15 Bundesliga teams and many teams also in Europe.
1: Yeah, Matthias, uh, when we, when we look at the 1-0 that Dortmund scored against Slavia Prague, where Julian Brandt had this one peripheral look and then, uh, passed it toward Royce, um, do you think that in in this formation um Brandt really complements Marco Reus and do you think I haven't looked it up but I think traditionally Marco Reus likes to score against Mainz as it is do you think in in this sort of role and this sort of dynamic where uh, Reus gets to lead the line and and run into space of of quick passes do you think this is going to be a, a weapon now that we see more often Constantine already said it all looks a bit more fluid but I actually think that the vertical balls by runs into the path of Royce or the the one-two combinations with Sancho, um, do you think that can really make make the difference also in individual form, which uh, we have seen quite uh, yeah dropping in in uh, both terms of Sancho and Royce.
2: Well, obviously, I mean, if we look at uh, against Düsseldorf, first goal or a few of the goals, also against Slavia Prague. It was just the fluidity of movement and the pace behind it. And it, it complements Macarois because it plays completely into his strengths. Because his best seasons were when he came in from the left wing, not when he was central in a number 10 or as a striker. It's when he came in on the wing and he could run direct either into space or at the opponent. And that that is, in the last few matches, watching it seems to be the direction that they're going with him in the lineup. Because, uh, as last said, if you try to mark out Julian Brandt, then you've got Hazard, who's a, also a very natural type playmaker, much more so than Sancho or, uh, Royce, which then complements them and allows them to play into their strengths, which is obviously dribbling, pace, and uh, explosiveness, finishing, all that kind of stuff. And it, it moves the attacking playmaking duties. Onto, pe- onto players that are more capable of doing that, be it a Nazar, be that a Brandt, or even if Gutzo would come in, I think that's kind of his strong suit. Um, so yeah, it absolutely complements his strengths and it helps against opponents that are compact and strong and also physically strong just because they're not as good quality-wise. So naturally, things will open up as you have more fluid motion and quicker passing interchanges as we've seen the last few matches.
1: Constantine, uh, considering Dortmund play on Tuesday against Leipzig, um, if you were to rotate any players, who would you pick and who would you replace them with? Uh, there's not much. I mean, I, 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 maybe I could Schulz see... for Guerrero also?
0: Yeah, maybe Schultz for Guerrero. Um, I could see maybe Reis getting rest. Um, although I, I don't know if that's against the rules at Dortmund, I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, I haven't haven't read the rule book as of late. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe getting Paco Alcasa a little bit more of a playing time there um, because he got lost. He got lost uh, a little bit there. Um, that's that's one option I think. Um, but there's not much else. I mean, it's like right now because of the Witzel and Delaney injuries. And because of, I know Jakob Brun Larsen doesn't play a role anymore and gets the situation, it is what it is. Um, there aren't as many options um, in terms of accessibility and attacking department for changes. It's only, only thing I could see is that maybe Paco comes in and, I don't know, either Royce moves to the left side, for instance, and and either uh, Sancho or uh, Hassar gets resting time. Uh, something like that. Or maybe even when gets some rest and comes in after 60 minutes or so. But I could see something like that. Um, there's not much more, right? I mean, I don't see, I don't see the hood starting, especially not, not next to Prant. And I don't see Prant being as hot as he is right now, uh, sitting on the bench.
1: Lars, do you have any uh,
3: shots? uh I wouldn't be surprised if Paco got a start because I tend to think uh that father is going to revert his system back for the leipzig game uh and there he will need uh you know more of a striker in alcasa so it uh, wouldn't surprise me if he got at least like thirty thirty five minutes against Mainz as well but there's also something to be said for only three games being left and the current formation working so well that you know maybe they want to uh, save that momentum until uh, the winter break.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Um, the the top scorers of mine are Quizon with four goals, Boetius with three, and Utsunali with three. Um, I I would say that Quizon uh, and Boetius both have. Good pace, I guess. Um, is this going to be a problem for Dortmund's backline, Matthias? Do you think there, there could be a similar, uh, trap as, uh, we've seen with, um, Paderborn?
2: well as long as you have zagadu as if you're playing a 3 343 i'm not too worried about a paraboan type scenario i'm a little bit more worried about a slavia Prague type scenario um I, I don't i don't necessarily you know if you have zagadu and akanji even with Humid centrally and then you've got pace your wingbacks i'm not really worried about that to be honest uh i'm i'm more worried about uh the 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 high press forcing bad decisions turning into goal-scoring opportunities than getting behind Dortmund's backline at pace right now in this formation.
1: Yeah, so my personal hope in this game is really that Dortmunds uh, shake a bit of their what sometimes is a very poor uh, away performance where they just don't, you know, play at, at their full potential right from the start. Um they started very brightly, I would say, against Zeta Berlin, but then sort of collapsed and I, I really hope that uh, this minds game won't be another nervy affair, but uh, you of course never know because uh, Mainz are quite capable of of making things tough in their the typical never say die team right now. Um, and at least that's that's uh, the impression I had uh, watching them beat Frankfurt. Um That wasn't a pretty game at all, but uh, somehow they persevered. So, um, that's, that's my big fear. Um, I made a huge prediction (laughs) ahead of the uh, Dusseldorf game, which was that Dortmund would absolutely definitely score a set-piece goal, um, which they then of course did not. Um, but since Mainz together with Werder Bremen have conceded the most set-piece goals, uh, nine in total, I will make the same prediction again. And I think it's time for Mats Hummels to be on the score sheet again. So there's that, um, Constantine, I think we can move over to predictions unless you have have anything uh, more to say because we still have to cover that uh, Leipzig game and then uh, maybe. No. Okay. Go ahead.
0: Uh, I think a smooth, free one.
3: Lars.
2: That's exactly what I was gonna say.
3: Yeah,
1: that's of course, of course. Matthias.
2: Uh, I think uh, clean sheet time. Why not two nil?
1: All right, I'm also going to say I'm actually going to say 3 now because why not. Um I I um have another question though um and that basically moves straight into the next game um last and it might be a bit frivolous. However, um Matsumels is on that fourth yellow and uh, I don't want him to see defending against Timo Werner for obvious uh, <laughs> reasons. So um is it Would it be a bad thing as a Dortmund fan to hope for Hummels to get his fifth card and be suspended against Leipzig so Favre won't even think about him playing against Leipzig? Or is that uh, something stupid that I just said?
3: I mean, it's pretty stupid, but um, I mean... <laughs> I, I would, as I said, assume that Favre is going to revert to a back four against Leipzig, and in a back four, you would definitely want Hummels to play, even if it's against Timo Werner. So, that is uh, true. I mean, at least Maybe. At, if if uh, Favre doesn't want to play Hummels, he doesn't need the excuse of a fifth booking. I mean, he's a grown man and he can tell Hummels to sit on the bench for ninety minutes. That that wouldn't be, you know, the end of the world, even though it would be a feast for the media. But I mean. I don't expect Thomas to sit on the bench either way, even if they were not to revert. So I wouldn't be surprised if he picked up a booking just because this season seems to be for the first time that that lacking pace kind of uh, catches up Thomas a little bit. I mean, he never got so many uh, bookings in like half a season in his previous Dortmund years. And I would safely assume, I guess, that at Bayern, he didn't get many bookings either. Uh, so... Uh, it, it seems like, as I said, pace or lack of pace might be catching up to him a bit more this season. So a fifth booking in, I guess, something like 13 or 14 Bundesliga matches wouldn't be too surprising. But I mean, I would never hope for a player to be unavailable. Because, you know, what? if if Hummels picks up a fifth booking and then Zagadou crashes down the stairs like Axel Witzel, then you are left with Weigl-Akanji or Akanji-Balerdi. So that's not great either
1: yeah that is correct um so yeah let's uh, look a little bit at Leipzig there in uh, second place right now they are four points ahead of Dortmund and they have won their last four league games and play this weekend away to Fortuna Düsseldorf um they have the best attack in the Bundesliga with I think 39 goals and uh, they uh, have also said that I found interesting uh are, are, are tackling the most, have 19.5 tackles, uh, opposed to Dortmund's 16.2. I think Dortmund are like ranked 14th in that category. And, uh, Leipzig have the fourth most possession, averaging 52%. Uh, obviously Bayern, Dortmund and Leverkusen are ahead of them in that category. And, uh, Leipzig also have scored the most penalties with four and have scored the most goals on the counter with five goals, according to who scored. So um that all being said, um, since we have our own uh, somewhat RB Leipzig insider here, Konstantin, um, maybe beyond the stats, explain to us uh, how Julian Nagelsmann has uh, transformed, if at all, this team and uh, how he has gotten out of this little dip that Leipzig had in form where they uh, yeah, crashed on the table for a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, so I mean, to not get... Too much or too far of the Leipzig analysis, or too much into the history of this season. Um, it was just Julian Weiger came in uh, with the idea to. I mean, that's like he doesn't really write out said it to me, but still, I mean, Julian Weigel. Can uh, sorry, uh, Julian Nagelsmann. Weigel, Weigel, not so much. I don't know, he's not so talkative. Um No, but but uh, Nagelsmann, he came in um, and he wanted to basically reproduce his uh, Hoffenheim system uh, going a little bit away from the 4-2-2-2 which was previously used under uh, Hasenhüttl and Rangnick because he saw much more of an advantage in the back three um, especially using someone like Mukila or even close to Mana in a, in a um, half space defending position. You know, these advanced movements, advancing movements uh, can pretty much be a key. Uh, I mean, he fought. Uh, so, different, like something different from Hoffenheim because it's more of a static back three, but still, like in terms of formation, something that he already used um, at Hoffenheim. However, that didn't really work out in a couple of matches. I think he was too much too reactive uh, in his approach, especially against uh, top tier teams like Bayern, um, and in the Champions League as well against the Olympique Lyonnais, for instance. So, um, so what he did was he went back to uh, a more of a customary four four two system. So the 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 change was basically compared to last season that now uh, let's say Forsberg and Sabitzer, two of the attacking midfielders are playing in a more of a wide role, not so much in, inverted, much more uh, down the ring, um, and feed uh, the, 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 the center forwards much more um, conventionally. So what is interesting to see um, is the development of Timo Werner, not so much the goal scoring. I mean, that was already there and it hasn't really changed. What, what Nagelsmann wants Werner to do, and I have that confirmed, um, is that really he wants to be the playmaking center forward, which is interesting because he was often so limited in his movement and his tactical understanding. But now Werner is the go-to guy because he drops back, as opposed to previously where um, where Pausen was the guy who dropped back because he had the body to shield the ball to receive these high balls from the back line, and then, you know, play layoffs. Now it's Werner because it's more of a grounded passing base style, um, and Werner drops back, especially through the left half space because it's like his, his preferred half space uh, or his preferred side. Um, he drops back, and it gets fed a lot of balls um, there um, and receives them and can, you know, turn around and be pr- pretty explosive uh, in the first moment after reception. So, um, yeah, the key is really uh, what Timo Werner does and how his surroundings, his environment, um, you know, acts and, and his, his environment supports him. Um, and I think in terms of especially center midfield, I mean, Leipzig, has it feels like they have a squad of 30 players right now. And they will, they will lay off a few, like Z- 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 Zaraki, for instance, the I left I think back. they have 32
1: uh, exactly.
0: Yeah, I mean, it feels like, I don't, I haven't counted, but you know, especially you, you got players like Hydora, for instance, who doesn't really play a role right now, you know, who was, was like pretty hot when he came. Over from Salzburg. Also, Hannes Wolf, a former, former number 10 from Salzburg. Of course, they, know, most of them come from Salzburg um, for obvious reasons. I mean, Hannes Wolf, for instance, he was injured badly in summer. Now he made his comeback. So it will, it will be interesting to see what role he plays because he's number 10. They don't really have a number 10 right now, uh, but maybe he can play up front. Uh, be like basically a false nine next to Werner, which will be you know crazy to think of, but still, yeah. But but especially the center midfield, uh, he sometimes uses these more um more physical players, especially I mean it's it, uh, like someone like Leimer for instance I think new Nagelsmann is the only pl- only coach in uh, in Europe who can make Leimer a capable playmaker I mean Leimer is like so limited in his in his passing ability and his like technical understanding um, he was an up and down right back and now he's or he, he should be up and down right back but now he's he's basically um, as a center midfielder and is pretty established at Leipzig um, same with like the Demme but he was established before uh, Nagelsmann even came in and uh, and then you got you got someone like Kampel, for instance, who can basically if if Werner plays uh, in the left half space, Kampel can balance it, playing through the right half space, or even playing also through the left half space, and you know connecting, interacting with Werner pretty well. For Dortmund, um, which I mean, of course, first key to success is how can they contain Werner? You know, if if uh, do they man mark him? Let's say do they assign a Kanji? Uh to be uh the shadow of Werner. I mean that's that's it's it's doable, uh especially with a back three. I it, it would be doable. But on the other hand, you have someone like Hakimi as a right wing back who really has to be aware when he has to move inside and protect Akanji when Werner drops into the midfield. So I don't know if that's happening. What what about what about you and Weigel? He plays the right side at center midfielder, he could also engage with with uh with Werner, but he's not as uh, talented in his one-on-one situations as just seen against Slavia Prague. So really, the, the one major question is for Dortmund, in my opinion, how can they contain uh, Werner? Everything else is pretty straightforward. You know, white right side close to mine is athletic You can you can you know. Uh, uh, pair him up with um, Hakimi, of course. You could do that, but you can also just use Guerrero, who should who should be uh, you know um, able to uh, defend Klosterman often enough. Although that's also something Klosterman likes to move inside from the from the. Uh, given that uh, Klosterman really plays as a right back, I mean there are some some doubts about that actually. But but if he plays as the right back, he likes to move inside. Um, and then, um, which, which he also do, uh, which he also does for the German national team a lot. Um, so that's, that's done, that's in the task for Saga 2 to really pick him up and not let him, let him get a free shot in the, in the backspace, for instance. Yeah. Um, so. Well, I mean, there's some key players, and especially Werner and Klosterman are the two, the two I think uh, Dortmund has to be worried about. Um, the, the center midfielder is more of an, uh, is more of an assist- assisting type of role. Um, and, of course, Sabitzer and Forsberg, yes. Uh, great in one-on-one situations. Sabitzer a little bit more of, of a risk because he does more, like, out-of-the-box type of stuff as opposed to Forsberg, in my opinion. Uh, but under Nagelsmann, especially in, in, in recent matches, they play as pretty straightforward type of wingers. So that means um, the task for Dortmund is just to, uh, you know, be in position and, and defend them as you would defend these type of wingers. Um, that they are more talented, that, like, the wingers, Mainz uh, Fields or, or, or Slavia Prague, I mean, that's just, that comes with the with the match and with the job, um, but there's there's not much to it. But technically, it's really all about these two players I, I mentioned. Um, and of course, there are also some weaknesses Leipzig has. I mean, still defensively, yeah, they look better than they have been for quite a while. Still, they, they have to use uh, Stefan Ilsanker as a center back. Um. He has, done, he has done actually pretty well uh, still. I mean, he's not really Orban in that regard in terms of like like basic defending skills. He's still a center midfielder. Um, so, of course, there are some weaknesses, but not much uh, and not many, uh, I should say. So, yeah, that's basically a roundup or a, a little bit of an explanation on Eri Leipzig
1: right now in December 2019. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I do not know what... To- to ask next so uh Lars if you have any thoughts on on that particular game uh, feel free to say whatever you want
3: uh what um (laughs) I did zone out a little bit I'm sorry uh I mean I'm not here to listen to 10 minutes of Leipzig analysis um so I mean what they they are good they are Probably the best team in Germany right now, from what I can tell. Uh, I mean, Gladbach have been fortunate to beat Bayern. They lost twice against Dortmund, when Dortmund weren't really all that this season. So I think they are out of the equation. Uh, Bayern (laughs) lost to Gladbach still and lost to Leverkusen. So they probably, I mean, they're seventh, so they're not the best team in 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 Germany. Dortmund certainly aren't, so I mean, the onus is on Leipzig and I certainly think that they have a very good chance actually to win the championship this season.
1: So how big is this game, Matthias? Um, It's a Tuesday night game, Um, we don't know what the standings in the table will be, but I assume it, it might be second against third or something along the lines, so... Um, is this a huge game that everyone needs to watch uh, is this something that uh, could draw more audience around the world uh, do you think this has high prestige and if so why
2: okay so those are a lot of different questions um, <laughs> kind of asking the same thing but a little bit different obviously it's an extraordinarily important match for both clubs it's um, Leipzig want to keep this momentum going into the winter break and maybe be Herbstmeister. Dortmund, this is their their big test now if they're playing with the 3-4-3, if they are. Um, this is really to see, are they for real or not? Because I agree with Lars, Leipzig are probably playing the best football right now in Germany. Uh, arguably, they have probably the best coach in Germany right now. Uh, some exciting players and stuff like that. So it's definitely a match to watch. It'll be interesting tactically. It'll be interesting as far as uh, attacking movement and stuff like that. It will not be a boring match. Now, as far as prestige goes, I will always say any match against a Red Bull franchise company is not prestigious. It is not prestigious for Dortmund against... Uh, uh, Dosenball Leipzig. Uh, that, that's just—I'll never say that ever. Um, but it's definitely a big match, and it's definitely going to be an entertaining match, and I think everybody should watch it and boo the ever living crap out of uh, Dosenball Sport uh, Leipzig.
1: All right, fair enough. So, um, I personally think it's uh not very ideal for Dortmund that they are missing Axel Witzel right now. Um, so and. And I really have some worries, some some huge worries about Julian Weigel. Um, would it make in any way or form sense to not play Weigel and maybe play Dahoud in midfield last, or am I completely out of my mind again? Yep. Okay. So uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> why 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 am I out of my mind? Uh, I think someone asked me on Twitter this week why why shouldn't Dahoud play over Weigel and I said uh, playing the hood as the most defensive midfielder uh, smells like a halftime substitution to me. I mean, there's in my mind there's no evidence whatsoever that the hood is capable of filling that role against a good opponent and Neither is there any kind of evidence that Favre would, you know, feel comfortable playing him there. So, I mean, the, the question, I don't think Favre is, is contemplating that. I mean, I would All be right. less surprised if Leonardo Balardi, just because Favre mentioned it in his press conference on Thursday, uh, that, that he can play as a defensive midfielder, which I haven't seen, obviously, because, I mean, my experience of watching Balardi live is uh, in competitive matches is like 20 minutes this season. Uh, so, I mean, uh, that that would be less surprising to me than Dahoud playing as the lone defensive or la- lone, you know, natural defensive midfielder.
1: Yeah, fair enough. So, how can Dortmund hurt this Leipzig team, Lars? And and who who should play? Because I think you mentioned Alkasa
3: potentially starting. Yeah, I mean, I I, I still think that it, I wouldn't be surprised if Farfel went back to. The conceivably more stable uh customary four, two, three, one um with uh Weigel and Terhut perhaps, or even Brandt as a out and out central midfielder, uh, which right now I think he has more of a hybrid role between a an eight and a ten, uh alternating between playing next to Weigel or Witzel and next to Royce basically, or you know, in those spaces anyway. So I, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if if they went back to the shape, they still you know know better and might be more comfortable in defending, which they will have to do more of than they have done against Slavia and are presumably going to have to do against Mainz uh, and and with that, I think you know that it, it would be a, a good idea to have a proper striker up front um, also because you know you probably are going to get fewer chances against Leipzig. So, you know, putting your best finisher in, uh, from the start might be a good idea, but I think a lot of it really depends on, you know, uh, the, the state of mind they have going into this game and also, uh, whether they need to rest someone. Um, you know, I mean, it's the, the penultimate game of the, of the, the calendar year. So it's like there's light at the end of the tunnel, but still, I mean, since they switched to this 3-4-3 system, it's basically been the same 11 guys or 12 guys being uh, played with Piszczek and, and Hakimi kind of switching. So, I mean, there, there might be a, a player or two that just can't play another uh, high-intensity match against Leipzig of all teams. So I think that will inform the decisions more so than perhaps uh, our very early tactical ideas. Yeah, that's very true because, uh,
1: it's, it's pretty guaranteed that, uh, Leipzig will outmatch Dortmund in terms of a- athleticism. And whenever this has happened this season, Dortmund have struggled quite severely. Uh, just look at the Bayern game. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, we, we can predict too much, but, uh, Constantine. Uh, I just want to know if you were a father, would you stick to the three four three system or as Lars just said uh, revert back to the four two three one or four four two system
0: uh, i mean actually in a in a vacuum i would i would stick to the four f- uh three four three um because of the possibilities to have a um to have one defender um going along with uh werner for instance if if it's required and not doing that, if it doesn't, uh, if it's not required. So, and also then outnumbering the two Leipzig players, if they are going into the pressing formation. So, um, yeah, in a vacuum I would, I mean, only thing that concerns me a little bit is that Akanji as well as humans haven't really figured out how to play it back free. So, um, you know, and also, I don't know if Hakimi is then the right guy on the right side and maybe you have to switch that a little bit. So in a vacuum, I would... you know, Technically, I think I've 3-4-3 uh, is what you should apply against Leipzig. Just the problem is that some of the,
1: these Dortmund players uh, concern me a little bit about execution. Well, I mean, this, this is why we all say this is a big test for Dortmund because it obviously will be. And uh, I, I assume there will be uh, quite... A couple of goals on, on, on both sides. Uh, I don't know. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a really, really tough game. I think it's going to be one of the toughest game for Dortmund yet this season. Um, so, because I'm, I'm not really feeling comfortable with the matchups, uh, really anywhere on, on, on the pitch. If I'm, if I'm brutally honest, I just feel like, uh, what Leipzig are doing is, is, uh, not something that Dortmund will be, uh, able to deal with. So, um, yeah, I don't know, shall we then move on to predictions, Matthias?
2: Uh might as well. You know, the the one thing I will add given that, you know, Leipzig do like the press and stuff like that, maybe, I mean, it's obviously quality-wise it's, it's completely different, but maybe the timing of Mainz of Slavia Prague Mainz and then Leipzig is a good kind of run-up, warm-up to to Leipzig when it comes to teams that are very intense and very nice intent yeah. uh, with the way they want to play as kind of a warm-up to the main act, so to speak, with Leipzig. So maybe this all, scheduling-wise, kind of worked out. I agree. I, I'm very nervous about Witzel not being there uh, as such. Uh, if we're going to go with predictions now, um, I think Dortmund are going to lose, and I think they're going to lose 3-1. to
1: yeah, uh, that's also, well, not entirely my prediction, but my prediction is also that Dortmund are going to lose. Uh, I only predicted 2-1 loss, but uh, nevertheless, uh, right now, as it would stand, that would be a 7-point gap, which uh, is far from ideal, but
3: um, it would be what it would be, <laughs> uh, last year prediction. Well, first of all, to Matthias's point, uh, Achim Bayerloetzer actually worked for Leipzig, uh, coached the team in the second Bundesliga, so there are certainly some similarities that might help in preparation. Uh, As for my prediction, I'm going with, as you said, Stefan, a couple of goals on both sides and a 2-all draw.
1: That would be, I think, a good result for Dortmund. Konstantin, your prediction? Yeah, I agree with Lars, Uh That that would be a result I would consider likely. All right, so none of us predicting a W for Dortmund on Tuesday. Um, We'll see how that uh, goes, but obviously there's one topic left to discuss. Um, We've all seen it in the media. Arling Holland, the uh, RB Salzburg striker, has been... In Dortmund, spotted apparently at the airport or whatnot, but uh, we we have not seen any pictorial evidence. So um that's at least reported by Ruhr Nachrichten and Radio 91.2, so uh, the local press, which I personally trust in in these matters. And um, so there could be a potential transfer of the 19-year-old wonder striker, who I think has now scored 28 goals in 22 games overall and then uh, 8 goals in 6 Champions League group stages um, Konstantin would this be a good move for Dortmund to sign him and do they have a chance to purchase him given that he is part of the Red Bull franchise and uh, obviously RB Leipzig are also very much interested I think they, w- they will sooner or later sell Timo Werner and um, I don't know what the situation there is with Patrick Schick either
0: yeah. Um, so on that, uh, yes, I, I guess Leipzig is uh, highly interested in Holland. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, he wouldn't be a Werner replacement. Different, complete different type of player. Um, so I mean, I think I think Leipzig are building up their Vanna replacement in Kujab uh, actually, and also with Lukman, but, but more more like Kunzab, Um so yeah, I mean, I don't really see Holland as a, as a Werner replacement. Of course, I mean, it's just Leipzig's strategy has been that they want to take in as many quality players as they can as they can get, and especially through the through the Salzburg Levering model. Um, however, thing is just that um, you can trigger a release clause uh, until February. Um, to get Holland, and I mean, there's not much Leipzig can do about Holland deciding to just go to Dortmund instead of Leipzig. Um, and he's not really, Holland's not really ingrained there in the Red Bull system that much. I mean, his, his, his advisor is his, uh, uh agent is uh Minorola. Um so I mean Minorola doesn't care one pleep about Leipzig or, or Salzburg or even Dortmund. Um so he just cares about the development and as seen with um Matthijs Delikt, I think he could uh he sometimes wants his clients to make this um you know. One, one step uh, before really signing for one of these major clubs, because then they got two signing fees and he gets more money out of it. Um, so I I, I guess uh, it's it's actually highly likely or somewhat highly likely that um, Dortmund signs Holland um, just triggering the release clause and getting him under contract. Um, and he's, he doesn't go to Leipzig. Um, so with that being said, I mean, would he be a fit? I guess to some extent, yes. I uh, that like uh, plenty of fans and pundits and want to be pundits have been <laughs> clamoring for, for, uh, uh, one physical center forward, you know, someone who can be uh, a threat in terms of high, high balls crosses. Now here comes the problem. Uh, of course, I mean, Holland looks like out of a Hulk film and he's really physical and athletic and he's big, um, but he doesn't really is that much of a aerial player. <laughs> he just isn't like he doesn't really win much of much aerial um, uh duels right now. Of course, he has like the basically the basic skills for the, to do that. But he's still more of a player who who's, who's uh playing underground. Um, you know who, who is who's a target player. He, of course, he can protect the uh, protect the ball with his body. Um, only like negative downside is that he has like a Jürgen Klinsmann type of uh, touch which is a pretty um, weird reference but w- w- what I mean is the uh, Jürgen Klinsmann back in the day was called flipper because like the ball was flipping away from his foot when he tried to receive it the uh, correct uh, get- term
1: on the yellow wall pod is trampoline touch okay uh, referring to
0: whom?
3: Eric Dohm, basically
0: Eric I was Dom. gonna say Eric, Eric Dorm, definitely. Eric Dorm, same haircut as Holland, I guess, right? I don't know. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, that's like one issue is really that he has not really that much of a of a good good uh, first touch, and so especially in tight plays where he's surrounded by some by by like three four defenders in situations where of course Rice had not has not much of an issue to just receive the ball to have the ball glued to his foot. Um, I don't really know if, if Holland is the right guy. He's, you know, because Salzburg really brings him in these open field situations uh, with the type of plays they have. Uh, Dortmund sometimes can create the same thing. But of course, I mean, Paco Alcazar, in my, in my opinion, is a good counter attacking uh, center forward. So why would you have uh, Holland? Uh, what really Holland does is, of course, he's not that much, that injured. He could be good replacement for Alcazar to some extent, and he's a, he's a great finisher. So um I mean why not try to do that why not look at him as a prospect and look at his basic skills which could develop in something else you know maybe his first touch will improve um a little bit I mean there's still like room for improvement and it's not like at, at 19 or 20 like there's no no chance that his first touch will improve uh, especially if if he's trained to do that, you know, if it, just high pressure training you have to do, a high pressure training surrounding him with, with plenty of defenders and then playing his these fast vertical passes, just try to get him in these kind of situations in training. And also, I mean, uh, making him in more of an aerial player and then being a target one for a target for uh, cross passes and, and some of uh, Hummels' long balls. Uh, because we're, I mean, Hummels' long balls. It's a, it's a lost art, basically, at Dortmund right now, right?
1: Yeah, if it weren't for Marco Reus stumbling over the ball the other day uh, against <laughs> yeah. Lavia Prague, we might have actually seen Whatever. Uh, seen a Hummels' long balls goal. Um, but uh, not in this case... Uh, Matthias, you were raving about him quite a bit. Uh, Why and uh, would you welcome the signing at the winter break?
2: Well, there are a few things. One is obviously on the pitch. The other one is off the pitch. Uh, If we go to the off the pitch implication, it's uh, making a statement to a degree. um, One of the hottest, most talked about commodities going to Borussia Dortmund obviously is a statement of intent. And shows uh, Dortmund standing again as a place for younger players to come and really make their mark in the next step in their career when the next step is the mega club, mega contract. Um, plus, uh, obviously, there's going to be a lot of people looking at Dalton again and and more attention around it and stuff like that. So that helps further recruitment obviously. So that's off the pitch. On the pitch, of course, he is a natural striker, which is something uh, a lot of people, including us, have said is kind of lacking because Paco Alcácer, though also a natural poacher, he has massive issues when it comes to staying healthy. That's undeniable. Uh, Mario Götze is not a striker. He fulfills that role admirably, but really it's it's not his forte, and uh, neither is Marco or Hazard, so we can agree we need a striker. He is a natural striker. He is a young, highly talented player that can also benefit from a coach like Lucien Favre, who is a developer also of talent, can make him a better player. And if he's available to be gotten at a reasonable, whatever the price is, 20 or 30 million euro uh, release clause price, it would be almost stupid to not get him at this point. It gives you a presence in the box that Dortmund have really been lacking since Lewandowski. Uh, yes, Obama Young scored a lot of goals, but he wasn't a presence in the box as Lewandowski has been and still is. So uh, he f- he fulfills a lot of the stuff that even Favre said he likes in a player. And the like, uh, Konstantin said, you know, he's not super strong in the air well you know Favre doesn't really play the high lofted cross game so a lot of those wannabe pundits you know we can kind of ignore their opinions to a degree anyway um so playing it to his feet back to goal holding up the ball movement off the ball it fits quite well actually with what Favre wants strikers to do so um that's basically my fanboy summary but he still has a lot of growing up to do he's still very very young he's a little bit hot-headed at times uh but that's the stuff you kind of take um into account with a young highly talented highly sought after player where dortmund also another off the pitch uh thing is if they get him for 20 30 million and he continues on this trajectory they're going to make a a net profit of about 100 million on this kid
1: yeah, he's about uh, one meter ninety four, and he's very athletic. Um, I think that's the the uh, first features you really notice, like given his size, how 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 quick and, and nimble he is. Uh, so, if you were an NFL player, I'd probably put him somewhere at tight end or so. Um, Lars, you, you mentioned before the show that you haven't really had time to form much of an opinion based of what Matthias and Konstantin just said. Would this be more a yay or a nay for you?
3: well since i have refrained so far from watching youtube highlights which is uh, the <laughs> the scouts uh, scouting feed for the wannabe pundits that you have so uh, reverently referenced just now uh, a couple of times i mean uh, i will refrain from really voicing a an, an opinion on whether or not they should sign him i mean if everyone wants him, then he can't be so bad, right? So it might probably make sense to sign him and certainly the argument Matthias uh, pointed out that even if he doesn't, you know, fulfill all of his potential and becomes the the next great, great striker in Europe, I mean, if you sign him for 20 million, which is the rumored release fee, uh, you, you will still make a, a lofty profit on him if he's just like a 15-goal-a-season kind of striker because they tend to go for a lot of money in the transfer market these days. So the, the one thing that I don't like about the idea of signing you know, the, the wonder kid kind of player is that you are basically kicking the can down the road once again. Uh, it, you can already basically start the countdown when he signs for Dortmund or if he signs for Dortmund. Uh, I mean, is it 18 months before uh, the media starts uh, writing him off towards, let's say Liverpool or Man City or Real it's Madrid. Like 18 or, minutes probably at or this Or is it, rate. or is it 30 months or is it even less? Uh, I mean, I, it, it's just from, you know, a, a purely non analytical kind of viewpoint. I would just like, prefer probably to have a player that could conceivably see his, at least mid, mid, midterm future at Dortmund, as opposed to the, the Wonder Kid Rayola client kind of guy that presumably sees it as a stepping stone from day one, which is obviously the appeal of Dortmund for that kind of player. But also, I think, uh, has, has been a contributing, uh, aspect towards the loss of, you know, a clear cut identity for this team. But I guess that's, Perhaps going a bit too far for this discussion.
1: Well, maybe, but I think it's it's a good point to make. I mean, the the real upside is that you would get someone uh, a that's talented and b athletic uh, on on a relatively cheap transfer fee if the rumors are true. Because uh, I think I I said this after the Bayern loss that. Uh, don't want uh have a hard time to acquire a uh, footballing talent that's also very physical and athletic at the same point, so these uh, boxes are all ticked in 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 this regard but I also agree um i I like my strikers a bit more like a fine wine when they are more experienced and uh have already seen some some uh yeah major experience and had you know especially holland he's he's a bit hot headed so um you know, um I think there there are a lot of pro and cons out there. Um I'll I'll just say this from what I read and hear it appears that this is going to likely happen, so uh we shall look forward to it happening. Um but yeah, I, I think we can discuss it a bit more in depth at another point because we're already one hour and twenty minutes into the show and uh I have to leave now, so that means uh we can end it here. So, um, a quick prediction during the round before the outro. Will Dortmund sign him? Yes or no, Matthias?
2: Yes, I think so.
1: Lars? Constantine? Yes. All right. So that's a yes from me as well. So I guess that's, that's everything we could possibly do for this week. So, um, Lars, please uh, tell our listeners where to find you on the internet and uh, read your work.
3: Um, just find me on Twitter at Lars Paulmann.
1: Matthias?
2: You can find me on Twitter at Matthias Huck.
1: Konstantin, your new Tw- YouTube channel.
0: Twitter. Uh, well, there's a German language YouTube channel.
1: Well, we have a lot of German listeners, so... Do we? Do we actually? We do actually All right. do. All right. Interesting.
0: Um, so to our German speaking listeners, uh, YouTube channel, youtube.cc Uh, that's the, uh, that's the uh, or just, you know, type in Contain Eckner in the Google search so, and a YouTube search. So you will find it as well. Um, uh, next video on Sunday will be about AB Leipzig. Um, going all things, you know, going down before the big match against Dortmund. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter where I will share, of course, all the videos and all the articles. Uh, CC underscore E C K N E R.
1: That is wonderful. Again, thank you for coming on to you all three. You can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find all of us and reach all of us on Twitter and Facebook at Yellow Wallpot. If you want to subscribe to the show, please do that via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube. And all the other ways you can get your podcast. And uh, if you want to read our written content behind the yellow paywall, then go to theyellowwall.net and uh, sign up to our Patreon for one buck a month. And then you have full access to all the interviews, news, and whatever you find there. And otherwise, if you like Dan or the uh, B4B fan club, in Canada want to sponsor an episode, please contribute 10 bucks on Patreon and then you will get your shout out, whatever that is. And uh, I will say thank you for listening as always and goodbye.